Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Dennis Cockrum and I went to university together. When I read his IMDb profile, it reads like a history of television over the last uh, 25, 30 years. The more skills you have, the more apt you will be to be hired. And I don't just mean singing, dancing, acting. I mean know how to throw a baseball, know how to swim, know how to horseback ride, know how to do all these things. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? Every day, do something for your career, whether it's learn another audition piece, get a better headshot, work on your vocal technique, whatever it is, find a better agent. Every day, do something. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and joining me once again is our other host, our co-host, our co-producer, multi-talented guy, really, Fred Keating. We are in Hollywood, California, as we love to hang out here near the pool at the Chateau Marmont. Dennis Cockrum and I went to university together years and years ago, and he has since gone on to become one of a handful of Hollywood mainstays in terms of uh, character roles. When I read his IMDb profile, it reads like a history of television over the last uh, 25, 30 years. Dennis, welcome. Hi, Fred. How are you? I haven't seen you in a long time. No, and you haven't changed a bit. God bless you. You really need to get your eyes checked. Other than that, you look pretty good yourself. Fred, uh, you you know, he, you were the first guy who introduced me to stage combat and fight choreography, which has held me in good stead on many occasions since then, and I appreciate that. One of the things I'm very proud of, we did Dead End here at the Amundsen Theater a few years ago, which is rarely done. It's a huge show. It's 40-some people in the cast. And the great fight choreographer, Rick Sordelay, did the fights for it. There was a lot of uh, violence in the, in the play, but he chose me to be his uh, fight captain which I was very proud of and gave credit to you for that because I would never have gotten that job without your uh, training. And the first four seasons I did on Shameless, I was a guy who was fighting somebody all the time, and I never had to use a stunt double. They had them there ready, but I said, ah, I think I can do it. I got beat up a few times, but it came out all right. So for the benefit of our listeners, I mean, this is stuff that you actually learn in school? I took a 16-week course with the U.S. Navy's master fencer, and he took a handful of us through the history of weaponry from Greek swords, the short Roman things, to the dagger and rapier of the Elizabethan times, right through the whole gamut. And it's one of the two courses in my life that I've ever been top of class. I don't know why I had an affinity for it, but it worked, and it's been a stream of revenue ever since. We did a show for the Children's Theater, actually. It was Eugene O'Neill's In the Zone, and we traveled it to schools, junior highs and high schools, and one of the major parts of it was this huge fight that Fred choreographed. In the script it says, this guy enters, they struggle, he's subdued. This went on for five minutes. I mean, we were using mops and <laughs> and pails, and one guy got kicked in the groin twice, and it was just, it went on and on. And Dennis, I took a look at your demo reel on IMDb, and one of the fight scenes, as a matter of fact. You know, you, you play some tough roles, right? I Yes, yeah, so that's the movies, by the way, too, which is... Still the same premise. It's a little easier in some ways because you don't have to provide the sound effects. We would have to make our own sound effects on stage, obviously, Fred. 
But on film, you just throw a punch and you miss them, and then they put the sound effect in later. But the last episode I did of Shameless uh, was a big barroom brawl, which I'd never done. And that was great fun. And it involved bottles and chairs and all of that. And it was all fine, except uh, they had so many glass bottles made to hit me in the head with. Like, I'm going to hit him in the head with this. You break this, my son, in it. He takes a bottle and breaks it over my head. Sugar glass, it's no problem. Because we only have about four of those. So let's practice with a rubber bottle in rehearsal. Well... <laughs> I don't know what we were thinking. He cold cocked me with this rubber bottle. It was like getting hit with a light blackjack. I mean, it just thumped me. I saw stars. There was a big bloody welt come up on the side of my head. <laughs> they called the nurse and took a look and said, well, you probably should have a tetanus shot. And I said, well, let's finish the fight here. We'll do the scene and I'll come over at the end of the day. She goes, okay. So by the end of the day, of course, they kept adding blood to me makeup wise and getting more and more beat up and I walked into her office just a mess and she she goes oh my god is that real or is that makeup I said it's real and she, I thought she was gonna faint of course it wasn't but I went home with some aches and pains and some cuts and bruises you know they forget the two guys I'm fighting are half my age they would have a stunt double there for me sometimes but the nature of the violence on that show I didn't know how they'd ever do it. It's very close. It's handheld camera. It's very close to you. It's very intimate sort of violence. So I really wanted to be able to do it, and I was proud of being able to do it. And a lot of that has to do with Fred's training. You do play a lot of tough roles here in Hollywood. Why do you think that is? And do you think that's an advantage for your career to have really staked that ground? You know, it's funny. It goes all the way back to college. I played tough roles in college often. The, the, the show with Fred was I was the bad guy in that. I think it has to do with my look. You know, I have a tough mug, I guess, in a lot of ways. And that probably has contributed to it because film and television is so much about the look. You know, I've done far more wide variety of things on stage, I think. You've got the voice, too. <laughs> but interestingly enough, it works on both sides of the badge, doesn't it? Because in a recent production, you play a cop. And you've played lots of cops and detectives as well. I play a lot of policemen, but they're usually uh, corrupt cops. <laughs> they're not necessarily nice cops. I played a lot of policemen, a lot of military. I always say my career has come down to cops, colonels, and convicts. You know, for the benefit of our listeners, is there a benefit from uh, monetizing your creativity point of view to specialize in a certain kind of role like this? You know, I wish I could say it was something I did on purpose, and I didn't. It's just they look at you and they say, he's this, he's that. And I would say I have always been chosen as a blue-collar character. Accountants, for, forget it. I have played every kind of cop there is, from a beat cop to a sergeant to a captain. You name it, I've done it. So because of this, do you find it easier to get the auditions? I know you still have to get the role, but uh, do you get the calls? For me, it's more in this town age. As you get older, the roles are not as plentiful as they were back in my 40s and 50s. Actors my age now, they can find former stars kind of to do these now. Have you had a good agent or agents uh, over the years? I want somebody who works hard for me, and I think my agent does that. I have a manager, Suzanne DeWalt, who also went to Eastern, and she's uh, been my friend since high school. There's no reason I have a manager. I trust her very much. I always say it's like having two people hunting for you. I got one guy with a shotgun, which is my agent, shooting away at everything that's close, and then my manager has a rifle who's pinpointing those certain things. I think he's right for that, right for that. It's a metaphor I like to think of in terms of them helping me. In Canada, the agent takes both those roles and also the additional 5%. So it's a 15% commission, but they don't distinguish really. Your agent kind of is your manager as well. But here in the States, it behooves one to have, as you say, two hunting it's for very you. very fuzzy now. It used to be quite distinct in that the agent was the one who had to negotiate. The manager didn't negotiate. But since my manager, Suzanne, was my agent for many years, 
she has no problem in negotiating as well. So what's it like working in that kind of environment with, uh, with television commercials? Different perhaps than working on a, a theatrical production? Oh, absolutely. Very different. You know, you do them because a commercial that gets even the bare minimum running, it will probably make you 10 grand. That's great to pick up that in one day's work. So that's why you go and do them and, and pursue them. And one that runs a lot can make you a lot more than that. And if you get in a series, you know, it's a, like a long-term sort of thing, then that's really great. I have a friend who was one of the Vikings on those credit card commercials. He was in that forever. It was great. And then what about creatively as well? Do you have an extra layer of influence there? Somebody from the ad agency, the creative director, chiming in as well with notes? Absolutely. It's, it's another layer of people you have to satisfy. You have the ad agency, then you have the client, and they whisper and talk, and they come back with another way to do it, and that's all part of it. It's their product. I'm there to sell it, so whatever they want me to do, I'm going to do that. I can remember advice from my agent saying, no matter how small the role is in a feature film, take it because nine out of ten times they're behind schedule. You'll be called in for days and catch up on your reading because they don't know if they're going to get to you or not. I have a friend of mine who was on, I believe it was a film called Mission. This guy had a small role as an old guy sitting in front of a general store or something, and uh, he was on set shooting one day, but he was on location for something like 38 days. Paid his house off while playing cards with the other guys who may or may not have been called up that particular day. I did a film, uh, Gangster Squad, a few years ago, and uh, the scenes where I had dialogue, we shot one day. I had two little scenes in, in my police chief office, and it was great, but we got it in one day. But the scene that was this big nightclub scene where I was just seen and sort of introduced in the back, not really a line, but they said, camera hit my face as they introduced me, all the bad guys that were part of Sean Penn's crew. That took over a week. It was supposed to be shot in a couple of days. They'd keep going. they go, can you come back tomorrow? I'll come back every day you need me. And it took like a week, so it wound up being a much bigger shoot than it was supposed to be because it just took a long time to get all these elements in place. It was a huge scene. I guess one of the morals of the story here, regardless of which creative discipline you're involved in, you need to roll with the punches, particularly as the schedule goes, and, and just not get worked up about it. Absolutely. I, I always tell my students that I teach, I teach a couple of acting classes at a university here or at a college here, fundamentals of acting and the film acting class. But I always tell them, the more skills you have, the more apt you will be to be hired. And I don't just mean singing, dancing, acting. I mean, know how to throw a baseball, know how to swim, know how to horseback ride, know how to do all these things. You want to be an expert at it, but look like you know how. I've had to go and hold a golf club. I've never golfed again in my life, but I figured out how to hold the thing. I got called in once to read for a, um, a Western, and they said, you know how to ride a horse, right? I said, oh, yeah, sure. Been on a horse once in my life. But I knew this stuntman, who was a friend of mine, I called him, I said, hey, Tom, can you give me an emergency horseback riding lesson? He goes, sure. So we went over to the equestrian center in Burbank, paid for the horses for the day, and we went out, and he gave me a horseback riding lesson. I couldn't walk the next day, but I did know more about it. I thought, well, if I get this job, I at least won't look like it's the first time I've been on one. When I I asked a friend of mine who's in stunts how one gets started. He said, you need to be a champion at something. If you're, you're a race car driver, you need to be a champion. If you're a tennis player, champion. Hockey, whatever the sport, whatever the activity, if you're a cowboy, a rider, a wrestler, a martial arts guy, you need to be one of the best in that business. That's your card, that's your passport in when a film comes up that requires those skills. Years ago in Chicago, I, I did some stunt driving for this show, Bad Boys, the one with Sean Penn, not the remake later, but the one with one of his first big films. And it was simple. It said, show up with your car, we're going to have you drive in the background, the traffic coming through. And they had an actual trained stunt driver who would come zipping around us. So that was fine. And then that night, Alan Ruck, one of the actors in it, had this scene where 
where he was shot through this big plate glass window. They didn't seal his ear off, well, popped his eardrum. Had to rush him to the hospital. Chicago at that time was really trying to get going with the stunt stuff, and the guy with the stunt thing goes, hey, why don't you come join us? I said, I don't think so. Check, please. I think I'd just soon be an actor and talk and not get the chance of having my eardrum popped. It didn't look appealing to me. I'm kind of a wimp that way, I guess. I don't mind doing the choreography, the fights and all that as the character, but to just do, ooh, I, no, I thought no. I had I a couple of that. close calls. One where I was supposed to dart out in traffic and then be yanked back by my belt by a guy behind me. I wanted to be his best friend so bad I'm saying, you know, <laughs> if you miss, my family will miss me too. My very first film thing was I was a stick-up man in a short-lived TV show called Chicago Story. Not Crime Story, which was a good show. This was Chicago Story, which was the last hour and a half drama they ever had on TV. We killed that format. But I was a stick-up guy, and my bit was I came out of the liquor store. I shot Dennis Franz, who was a regular on it. I turned, and the owner shot me, and I had to throw myself against the car and then fall down dead. And they said, now, you know, when you do it, just throw yourself against the car. I said, okay. Now, I had no stunt training other than what we had done to fight choreography, you know. He goes, we only got time to do it once, so let's try to get it right. And he goes, and here, we're going to put this condom. I took a condom and filled it with blood under my shirt. So when you get shot, just hit that really hard. And the director goes, wait a minute. It breaks that easy? He goes, you're starting to shatter my confidence here, the condoms. So yeah, I got shot with a dirty condom and um, a blood-filled condom. So we finally got it all set up and we did it. And what I didn't know was when I did this, they blew the glass out of the car. It was coming out this way. They were blowing out squibs out of the side of the car. Boom, boom, boom. I had no idea. I'm just a cog in the wheel. And a boom, down I went face down the sidewalk. We got it one take. It looked pretty good, but it's like, wow, that was kind of crazy. And the condom broke, so I was bloody. But the problem was afterwards, I said, okay, we want to we want to now match you hitting the sidewalk. They sweep up the glass and throw it in my face as I was falling forward. <laughs> and I, went, I don't think this is something I want to do all the time as a stunt guy, you know. The glass throw it in the face, have we done that enough? <laughs> So you've talked about versatility as an actor in other disciplines as well, but I guess you really need to think about where your talents are and where your tolerances are and where you want to draw the line. You need training. You need to know what's going on. You know, theater's a whole different game, and I, and I love theater. I was trained for the theater. Making that transition was tricky from stage to film because we didn't have a lot of film acting classes in college. We went to the same school. As you know, uh, George McLeod, God bless him, had one film acting class that was quite limited to what he had done around the Detroit area, doing commercials and doing uh, industrial films. So it was valuable, but it was limited. He hadn't done some of the other things that film requires. But I was glad I had that class. And at Eastern, I didn't really pursue it there. So it wasn't until I got out of there that I started uh, looking for more film. I was coming out as a purist. I came out of college going, well, I'm, I'm going to be a stage actor. I, that's what I want to be. I want to go do Broadway. And that's great until you realize there's not a lot of money in that. You know, at some point in your life starting out, you go, boy, I'd like to own a couch. Just a couch might be nice. Have a little piece of furniture here. So I guess advice I would give to someone starting out, keep your nut low. Don't owe too much. If you're single, get roommates, share the cost of that. My, one of the first apartments I got in Chicago was where I started, was with two buddies from Eastern, and we shared the place. It was 100 bucks a month apiece. You know, that was years ago. Share the cost as much as you can. Keep your nut low so that you can really give more time to your career and not to the support jobs. 
support jobs can take over. And that's I, always the thing I say to actors, said, be careful of the job you get to supporting. There's a reason why waiting tables and driving a cab are so appealing because the, the hours are flexible and you're not tied to it as deeply. I remember my support job. I didn't do those jobs because I didn't have the patience to be a waiter. But I did have at the Schubert Theater at the time, my support job in Chicago when I hit Chicago was selling tickets over the phone. Remember, this is before computers. Nothing was computerized. So people would call up, they order their tickets. We'd write it all out by hand. We'd run their credit cards. Boom, boom, boom the credit card numbers and we'd order their tickets over the telephone so it was a great support job and the guy who ran the office he was an actor he had done some acting so he was very tolerant of us coming and going but they always kept saying you want you we want you to be a manager i said i don't want to be a manager i don't care about the dollar more an hour i I want the freedom to come and go and i went and did um a show with Steppenwolf. I was lucky enough to get cast in our town at Steppenwolf Theater, and then I had done an industrial film or so, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to see if I can do it. I have enough now to have insurance. I have enough now to get unemployment. If I need it for a while, I'm just going to stop the support job. And only when I did that was I able to actually make a living as an actor. It wasn't huge, but I started, the jobs kept coming then when I could devote most of my time to my career. And I remember, I don't know whose advice it was, but it said, Every day, do something for your career, whether it's learn another audition piece, get a better headshot, work on your vocal technique, whatever it is, find a better agent. Every day, do something to help your career. Professional athletes train every day, professional musicians for hours each day right throughout their career. How many actors do you know that put in two to four to six hours on their craft each day? Not many. Hitting the gym, all the stuff it takes to keep yourself in shape and ready, dance classes, voice classes, all the rest. To return for a moment to lessons learned in theater as opposed to film and television, I remember how thrilled I was to get my first summer stock job where we were doing two shows a day in a small town in Massachusetts, and yet how quickly, doing those two shows a day, how quickly the six of us went from being in the dressing room two hours before curtain and taking time to get ready and running lines and stuff like that, and it just became not unlike the job on the Chrysler assembly line I had the previous summer, aside from the fact that 300 people were watching us. And I thought, oh my goodness, when I start to read about so-and-so was in Cats on Broadway for 17 years, I'm thinking, really? We started to change roles just to shake it up a bit once we got into the summer. And that's when I thought, wow, I couldn't do this much more than the three months I have here on contract. The seven to nine years after university when I was working in in live theater, when I think back on it, you're right about the money. What compensated that for me was the travel, the ability to work on both coasts in England for a number of months. So it got me to places and being a resident in those cities that I uh, normally might have just visited for a week. I look at it, stepping back, look at it and going, okay, I'm in a business where at any given time, 80% of my union brothers and sisters are unemployed. So whenever I get a job, I'm always grateful for it, whether it be a a long-running stage play or a movie or television show. So I would say that it's probably the attitude of those actors who are doing 18 years and cats or however long I think there's been actors who've been in Phantom from the beginning. This is a long-term job that they take very seriously and I think it is a challenge for stage actors much more than film actors is to make it seem like the first time every time to go out there and do that performance as if it's the first time you've ever done it and to enjoy it like it's the first time Ken Stevens had a very funny story years ago they hired the guy who played the old actor in the Fantastics in New York he had done it for as you say 20 years or whatever they got him to come up to this theater Cherry County I think it was Traverse City to do the same role in their production of Fantastics And he was so ecstatic to get a change of venue. (laughs) It was the same role. But 
wow, I bought a town. He was, he was so excited to get that break. You know, a kid said it was the same role. It was like he was doing something different. You know, I, I like long time work. I would love to be in a series that went for several years, you know. I'm always grateful to be working. Indeed. There is that charming aspect of film and television, especially at the level I'm at, which is if it's uncomfortable for any reason. I'm only going to be there for three to four days and then that particular source of tension or pressure is over. And if it's not, then I don't want to be anywhere else. It's the most wonderful job in the world. You're right. I mean, film and television sets, I love being on them and it is a short-term thing most of the time and it's always different. You know, you're doing the same take over and over for that day or whatever, then you're done and it goes on to something new. Unlike a play that's the same play every day, I see what you're saying about it. I love being on movie sets. They costume you, they quaff you, they cook for you. I'd love to have somebody just cook for me every day you know they cater to you oh would you like your chair in the sun or this last day in the sun or in the shade well, I'll, I'll put it in the shade i don't want to get burnt oh would you like water uh, ice cold or room temperature so it's that kind of thing that you don't get anywhere else and as soon as your scene is over you're forgotten you're the, the most useless thing i always tell my students the most useless thing on a set is an actor whose scene is over get out of there because they're moving on to the next set not that they don't like it they don't have time anymore and you know what guys i think this particular scene is over however yes yes we're up on time but i we're toast dennis you know what i have a better idea there's so much more that we need to get dennis to talk about what do you say we ask him back for another episode sometime dennis would you mind terribly allowing us to pick what little is left of your brain again we'd love to come back and hear some more stories but also the nuggets the takeaways that you have at the tail end of each one of your stories Sure. That's great. Well, then, having said that, Marvin, back to you. Goodbye. Briefly said. That's great. That's wonderful. I wish I could do that. I could. Where are you, where are you going with my microphone? Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.